G'day, everyone, and welcome back to My Big Backyard with DLK. I'm your host, DLK. Um, I hope you had a great week. The backyard revolution continues pretty much everywhere except for where I live. I'm, of course, in the uh, Minneapolis St. Paul area, upper Midwest of the United States. Hope the weather's been great where you are and you're enjoying the season. We've got a lot to um, cover this week. We're going to take um, a little bit of a dive into privacy. And it's more than just, I think when we think of privacy in the garden or landscaping for privacy, I think we tend to focus on sight lines where I think it's a little bit more three-dimensional than that. So I'll explain my my uh, version of backyard privacy coming up in this week's podcast. Also, my color of the year, of course, uh, that's not maybe everybody's color of the year, but I'm going to focus on my color of the year in the garden. I guess if you follow Pantone or um, all those kind of fashion colors, uh, Viva Magenta is probably officially 2023's color of the year. Um, but if you want to stick around, I'll have my color of the year coming up. And also, we're going to talk about something that you can grow right now, my pro tips to um, growing microgreens. Super, super healthy way to to eat and also present your your food. And also, we'll have some great gardening questions from our Big Backyard community. So let's talk a little bit about privacy first. And I guess I took a little bit of a play out of German beer gardens of all things. My my father's German, I, I grew up in Australia. My father's parents immigrated to Australia in 1956, I think it was. My dad was nine at the time. So he's German and I was I always grew up being half German. So we went to German festivals as a kid and all sorts of things back in Adelaide. They actually had this uh, festival called Schutzenfest, which is shooting festival. And um, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but grew up kind of being a kind of half German and drinking German beer at a young age and or trying German beer at a young age. So I was always kind of kind of grew up in that uh, in that culture. But here's the thing about German beer gardens. Most of them or a lot of them were outdoors. A lot of them were, and this was back in the early days, I'm not talking about maybe, um, you know, Oktoberfest in Munich or anything, but back in the old days, they used to have beer gardens next to streams or creeks. And the reason being was that you would put your beer, you know, it was in, um, you know, like ceramic um, ceramic uh, containers or, or glass bottles, and they used to put those vessels in the streams to keep the beer cold. Well, in Germany, of course, wherever there were creeks and streams, obviously there was moisture and there was always an abundance of trees. So a lot of these old German beer gardens had these beautiful canopies of trees next to streams. And I got to thinking that with privacy, and I I live um, relatively close to an airport, relatively close to a, you know, I'm on a I'm on a street. You get car noise. You, there's all sorts of different types of of conditions that you want to create privacy around in your backyard. And I mentioned sight lines is the number one is when you think of privacy or building a fence or you know whatever you want to protect your sight lines. But I think it's more. I think there's noise pollution that you maybe want to create some privacy for, and there's different ways that you can do that. And going back to that German stream, I think incorporating 
um, a water feature or some, you know, the sound of water is really beneficial. It creates a very calming atmosphere in your backyard. And I think you want to consider uh, noise pollution as well. Um, planes flying overhead, um, street noise, um, uh, the dog barking next door, your dog barking maybe. So I think um, the more that you can plant maybe shade trees in your backyard, and I, and I have this beautiful skyline green locust in my backyard. I think it's one of the best backyard trees. It provides um, some filtered light. It's not such a dense canopy where um, it kind of blocks out everything. But the canopy itself does create some some protection against noise, and and all shade trees will do that. In conjunction with you know a, a, some sort of a water feature, it doesn't have to be large scale, a little babbling brook, um, a a fountain that can block out noise as well, or focus your focus your senses on on that rather than some of the outdoor, some of the other clutter of noise that might be going on. So. Um, maybe incorporate, or when you're thinking about creating privacy, maybe think about incorporating all those aspects into your backyard. And, and it doesn't have to be on a large scale either. If you've just got a deck or a patio, um, you can do this all on small scale as well. So one of the most, um, searched trends or one of the most searched things about gardening is firstly, small space gardening or how to contain a garden. And the other one is privacy. And those two can go hand in hand. And when I think of my backyard and my outdoor space, um, there's nothing better than going outside at the end of the day and enjoying the sunset and enjoying um, some of that quieter time. And I kind of purposely surround myself with plants that will add privacy to even my little backyard space. And I've got a, I've got a very private backyard. I'll, I'll share one of my most favorite screening plants um, ever when we talk about privacy. But with my deck and patio where I entertain and where I relax and enjoy my, my outdoor space, maybe with a glass of wine, um, I use container plants to help create that privacy. So vertical gardening becomes key too to, to some of that some of creating space. So we've got the we got the water feature We've got some vertical design and or vertical plantings, whether they be in the ground or containers. And those plants will either be uh, mostly climbing vines, maybe some evergreens. Um, and then you have maybe some physical barriers like trellising and um, garden arbors, maybe maybe a fence, a decorative fence, things things like that that will help you create privacy. So what I do with my containers is I grow mandevilla and I, I form it up on a, on a trellis. It's probably one of the most um, vigorous growing climbing vines that you can um, grow up in my neck of the woods here. It's, it's, it's a seasonal plant. Um, in other parts of the country, you can get them to pretty much grow year round. But the red varieties of mandevilla are outstanding growers and will provide that quick cover and that quick privacy um, that will will help you entertain and the the great thing about them is they're they're relatively easy to grow and they just bloom continuously so that's really one of my favorite climbing vines for decks and patios some other vines that you might want to consider whether you're putting them on a fence or 
trellising that will come back year after year, particularly if you're in the upper Midwest here or in cold, in, in cold climates. Ingerman ivy is a good one. Aunt D. wisteria is another fabulous plant. A little bit different than the southern wisterias, but really any wisteria, I guess. But if you're up in my climate, um, Aunt D. wisteria has a purple bloom um, on it, which is, but again, another very vigorous growing plant. Ingerman ivy I mentioned, um, that's a great one. Uh, you also get some great red uh, fall foliage with that. But just keep in mind that one does, uh, it does drop its leaves as does wisteria. And then all your climbing roses. Um, William Baffin is one of those tried and true uh, varieties. It's a pink blooming uh, climbing rose. But that's also a great, a great plant for, for screening and providing some sound barrier as well. So I mentioned my number one uh, plant. And it's truly, uh, it's truly a, a great, uh, a great evergreen. And talking about evergreens, they're the ones that, of course, don't lose their leaves. They're not deciduous. But the the evergreen itself creates some great privacy. And really, any evergreen will will do that for you, particularly once it gets up, you know, over four feet in height. Um, but if you're talking about, or not talking about, if you want to have a physical barrier that has great um, sound protection, great density to it, is green all year, you want it to look like a fence, and when you think of privacy, you think of, of sight lines almost automatically. The American Arborvitae, or Techni Arborvitae, is hands down, every day of the week, twice on Tuesdays, the best plant for screening. And there, there's many, there's many, um, I could rattle off hundreds, but if we want to get down to the nuts and bolts of it, uh, the American Arborvitae, Techni Arborvitae, is fantastic. It's native to uh, to North America, particularly um, Eastern Canada, um, down or yeah, Eastern Canada, even as far south as uh, Northern Illinois. Um, when you're at your favorite local garden shop, you'll usually find it under the name Techni. Um, but a great plant, and it's it's interesting because um, the French actually kind of discovered this plant or, or the early French settlers kind of originally discovered this plant and they learned from Native Americans that it would the foliage itself would help prevent scurvy and uh, you know back in those old days the the you know the British and the French and the Portuguese and all these you know seafaring explorers um, all those sailors and early settlers for that matter, had problems with scurvy, and scurvy is uh, is uh, a deficiency in vitamin C. It make make you sick. So the early French settlers that were up in up you know in Canada and northern Minnesota and and so forth learned from Native Americans that the the foliage itself would um, would help prevent scurvy. So they got to calling this plant the tree of life, and the word arborvitae kind of comes from 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 there the tree of life. But modern day Techni arborvitae is just a fantastic plant. It does, um, it tolerates uh, full sun. It tolerates partial shade. It tolerates clay soil. It tolerates air pollution. Um, uh, is great in ice storms and snow. It's actually the branching is quite sturdy on it for an arborvitae. So it's resilient to to ice and and heavy snow, which which we're about to get uh, here in the next day in a bit. Um, so, uh, just a fantastic plant. Grows to about fifteen feet tall, 
15, 20, maybe 20. No, uh, we'll call it 15. And it's about four or five feet wide. So planted kind of, you know, six, seven feet on center, you get this great, this great hedge, this great screen, this great fence that's living and breathing. And I think so much nicer, so much nicer than, than a physical barrier like a fence. So there you have it. Um, there are my, that's my number one plant for, for uh, screening. It's a great plant, easy to grow. And the best thing also is readily available um, at your favorite local garden shop. Okay, let's change gears to favorite color. Or my, my 2023 favorite color of the year. And I mentioned uh, there's a magenta out there that's, you know, officially the, the 2023 color of the year. Um, but I think the color terracotta is just a fantastic color and kind of right on point um, for 2023. Of course, back in the 70s, or actually even back in ancient times, um, orange, the color orange or, you know, as it muddled into terracotta, it didn't even have a name. But throughout the ages, um, terracotta has really come into its own. Of course, it's it's rooted in history. Um, but uh, in the 70s, this color orange really, um, really became super popular. Um, it's popular in, in many cultures, from uh, Buddhism to uh, Hinduism, um, it's this great, it's this great color that's uh, that's steeped in history, and there's those what are those? There's those terracotta, there's that terracotta army in China. I think it's in the Quin, it's Quin tomb. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it's been it's been used throughout the you know the ancient world, you know, dating back three thousand years or so. And the word terracotta basically comes from the Italian. Um, the Italian baked, baked clay, no, fired earth, comes from fired earth. So it's basically clay that's, that's fired. And it was used for, um, it was used for art, little figurines, uh, tiny figurines all the way through those, those Chinese, that Chinese army that's in the Quintum. Um, it was used for, and of course, for um, tiles and bricks. But it's also, it was also used extensively for, for vessels, for storage, storing salt, storing wine, I, you know, all, all this, all these kind of ancient vessels. And I'm not an archaeologist, but it, you know, it's this stuff's been around since the dawn of time. And I might be dating myself a little bit, but terracotta pottery had a little bit of a revolution in the 1990s, with or around 1990 with the movie Ghost, had Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and. Um, can't think of the other actors, but uh, there was a scene where the you know they're on this potting wheel, and it caused this great big kind of stir and a, a revolution in people wanting to throw their own clay on a wheel. So the color terracotta itself, though, is so perfect for for gardening. It's it's almost synonymous with a container, um, and it I think it creates a warming calming effect in the garden i love using it um and, and terracotta is kind of one of those things that's 
kind of was in fashion, out of fashion. There's all this glaze pottery from from coming in from from Asia and in particular Southeast Asia. But I think that baked earth or those uh, that color, those desert vibes, is really on point for for twenty twenty three color trends in the garden. Um, great for succulents. Great for a, a, a lot of kind of applications when planting, but you don't need, just have to plant terracotta. Just think of the color in general for decorating ideas or um, any way to add some warmth and vibrancy to either your outdoor or, or indoor interiors. And there's, of course, there's so many choices uh, when you go to your favorite local garden shop. And I would even extend terracotta a little bit further, even into your landscape as well. There's some great um, coneflower. There's a great... Um, uh, coneflower called sombrero that has a wonderful terracotta hue to it there's also um copper top sweet viburnum that has this one the new foliage is, has this wonderful coppery terracotta color to it so you can extend those extend that terracotta theme my 2023 color of the year um, many different ways throughout the garden okay so let's uh, talk about my uh, my top tips for growing microgreens indoors because, uh, let's face it, it's still kind of cold out, particularly in the upper Midwest here. So microgreens, uh, they're super healthy. Um, they look great as far as presentation for for your, your dinner, for your um, adding sprouts to your lunch. Um, and the best thing is they're quick. They're easy to grow. Of course, we're harvesting plants. The whole essence of microgreens is they're not some different type of plant. They're, they're, they're plants like radish, arugula, wheatgrass, sunflower, bean sprouts, but we're harvesting them young. So the great thing is within 14 days or thereabouts, you can harvest, which is great. You can, you can sow them tight together because we're harvesting young. We don't have to worry about spacing. So my pro tips um, for growing microgreens... Start with a seeding soil because a lot of the seed is fine. So make sure you use a seeding mix. That's really that's really key. Grow a variety. I just mentioned, I just rattled off a variety of of plants that you can grow that are that are great for using as microgreens. So grow a variety because they all have an individual taste and, and texture, which is which is really fun to experiment with, particularly when you're cooking or adding flavor to your to your uh, to your favorite dishes. I always like to, I grow, I'm kind of uh, OG, I'm kind of old school where I use a, a flat, you know, like a grower flat. And what I do is I put two cups of water in there first before I put my seeding mix in. So th basically the mo moisture wicks from the bottom through the through the potting, through the seeding medium. That way I, I tend not to have problems with mold and other issues um, associated with growing microgreens. So add two cups of water um, to the bottom of the tray, then add your your seeding mix, or potting soil to your tray, and then mist the mist right on top of that before you seed. And of course, seed nice and tight. And then keep your uh, keep your sprouts dark until they start to germinate. They don't really need light to germinate, but you you want that kind of sprout, you want that sprout or that kind of root, that young plant texture. So keep them dark until they sprout. And then once they begin to sprout, um, you can pop them next to a sunnier window, uh, some brighter light, and then they'll they'll kind of race 
from there. But my number one pro tip, or number five on the list, don't overwater because I mentioned there's there's can be problems associated with mold um, and mildew and all those sorts of things that uh, are problematic with seeding. So don't overwater. And what I do is I use like a little um, indoor fan that creates some air circulation around the soil. And that's, and particularly when they start to sprout, and that's super, super key when we're preventing mold, which often occurs with sprouts. So there you have it, my top five tips for growing microgreens indoors. And the takeaway, the takeaway is you can do that right now if you're itching to get your green thumb working. Okay, let's cover some questions really quick. Um, we had three questions. Hopefully we can get through them all here. Firstly, Sonia in Minneapolis, how can I get rid of fungus gnats? Oh my. Okay, so here's what I do. I get a, a yellow piece of card or a post-it note. I get like a one of those little wooden skewer things, you know, that you put kebabs on. And then I get some honey. I paste some honey onto the yellow strip. I put the yellow strip onto the bamboo stake, or you could use an ice cream stick. Stick that into your pot, and Bob's your uncle. The fungus gnats will just go whoosh, straight to that yellow card and get stuck on the yellow sticky trap that you've painted some nice fresh honey with. That's what I do. Um, give it a try, Sonia. Let me know how it works out. Joe, tips on my peace lily turning brown. Okay, so usually brown tips on a peace lily, it's usually over or underwater, and you're going to be like, Dale, okay, yeah, any I could have looked that up online. Um, it's always associated with low humidity. So the best thing to do, of course, peace lilies, tropical plant, increase the humidity, and then you're either too little or too much water. My guess would be too much. That's usually what happens with, with peace lilies. But the combination, it's a combo, lack of humidity and then improper watering. And then Adam dropped me a line on the on Instagram. What is the best time to create? What is the best time to aerate your lawn? Sorry, Adam. What is the best time to aerate your lawn? Okay, so there is uh, warm season grasses and cool season grasses, depending, and it's kind of splits the country in half. If you're in the southern part of the United States, uh, you're in warm season. Uh, grass territory and you would aerate your lawn in late spring or early summer before it gets too hot. If you're in the northern tier moving into Canada of, of North America, uh, you're, we are growing cool season grasses and the best time to aerate those is in the early fall, I would say like after Labor Day weekend, uh, mid-September somewhere in there and of course we aerate our lawns because when we're running on them a lot and walking on them a lot it creates compaction and um, so the root system can't breathe can't get down nice and deep to be healthy so we're aerating our lawns to create some uh, some oxygen around the roots all right there you have it there's another edition of dale k's big backyard i hope you have uh, a great week and we will see you here next week and if you want to um I should mention really quick, if you want to ask a question, it's easy to do. Go to Instagram and it's Dale K Garden Guy. Dale K Garden Guy. Drop me a line right there and we'll, we will get your questions answered on the Big Backyard 
community. Dale K's Big Backyard is a production of Big Backyard Media. It's co-produced by me, Dale K, and Chip Elmquist. I'd love to hear from you and answer all your questions. You can reach me at mybigbackyardwithdalek at gmail.com, and I'll try to answer all your questions right here each week. Also, follow me on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy. Thanks for joining me here on Dale K's Big Backyard, and we'll see you right here next week. <laughs>